So this is the next episode of 10 Questions, and this is Thinker. And I've got my bourbon, and I've got <laughs> Jeff Mann. And hello, Mr. Jeff Mann. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you. That's good. That's good. Um, so, uh, ha, so, so how's how's the start to the year been? I, I know I know everybody's. Uh, yeah, I, I know everybody always has different starts to New Year. Well, um, personally, professional, business wise, uh, all around, it's been fairly good. Um, work uh, can never ceases to. Uh, surprise and disappoint me with the things that I uncover when I try not to uh, turn over stones, but inevitably, inevitably I do. Uh, You know, I I am hosting a a podcast now of my own security and compliance weekly. And I think uh, that's off to a pretty good start. We've had some good interviews so far, so far this year, and we're still trying to, you know, figure out where we want to go with it and whatnot. Uh, you know, family life, home life is good. I've got uh, three grandchildren, and they live nearby, so uh, I get to see them more often. So I get to have fun being a grandpa and forget about all the silly stuff we do in our industry. There you go. I I uh, don't know anybody that uh, doesn't enjoy uh, being a grandparent. Now, I, I, I've got to ask this before we officially dive in. Mm-hmm. Is is part of the enjoyment of being a grandparent the same enjoyment that you have whenever you're uh, whenever you're an uncle or an aunt that is that uh, you can always send them home? Um, y- yes, and and yet it's different because uh, uh, when you're an aunt aunt and uncle, which I I, I I was an uncle for many years before I became a father, and. Uh, there is that certain element of you can you know wind them up and and let them loose um there's an additional level when you're a grandparent though because uh you know my wife and i we 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 constantly look at ourselves and say karma (laughs) (laughs) you know all, all the things that our children did to you know, make us lose our hair or cause us stress and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, we can very often see those character traits at a young age in our grandchildren, and we just kind of sit back and think, "Yeah, you're going to have fun with that," and we're gonna we're gonna sit back and enjoy the uh, the show. I've had that pointed out by my parents in regards to my kid as well. I, I yeah, yeah, that, it's 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 true. It's true. I can see that. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let's jump in with the uh, official set of questions. Uh, All righty. Question number one is a you know good classic one that I use with just about everybody at this point. Uh, what what was it that first uh, drew your interest into uh, doing technology related things? <laughs> Start with a trick question. Um, uh, it, it may come out later in our discussion, but I'm actually not a huge fan of technology, uh, although I make a living off of it, as it were. Uh, but what what got me started in this was uh, working for the government, working for the Department of Defense. And uh, I originally was hired to work at 
the National Security Agency many years ago uh, as a crypt cryptanalyst, cryptologist. And as near as I can tell, the reason I got hired there is because growing up, I liked doing puzzles. And it was almost, you know, literally one of those, you know, if you can do a puzzle in the back of the magazine type of thing. I mean, it wasn't quite that, but it's uh, generally they hired me because I, A, had a liberal arts degree and B, I scored well on a bunch of uh, aptitude tests, as it were. Uh, but all I can attribute it back to is just sort of, uh, you know, having sort of the uh, the critical thinking kind of skills uh, that makes puzzle solving fun. And that's what got me into cryptology. And I just happened to be, you know, working in an organization within NSA, sort of at the ground floor of this whole thing that we today call cybersecurity. Back in the day, it was called either internet security or, or network security. So there was a fascination, I guess, because it was, it was, you know, computers were kind of new and different and the internet was kind of new and different, at least, you know, from a sort of a public perspective, the worldwide web perspective. And uh, it was kind of, it was kind of fun to, you know, to go where no one had gone before and do things that nobody else knew how to do, which in those days was mostly just, you knew how stuff worked. It was features. Uh, you know, we weren't breaking things as much as we were just kind of taking full advantage of how things were built back then. So, you know, it, that there's no real magic to it other than I attribute it to, I liked doing puzzles and I just happened to be at the, the right place at the right time in terms of the beginning of this thing that we call cyber. Was that a situation like uh, what you'd see on TVs and movies a lot of time where uh, where uh, government goes onto a college campus and is just recruiting off a college campus? No, it, it wasn't as uh, sexy as that. I was uh, I had graduated from college with a business degree, and I, I was working um, – basically as a glorified clerk typist for a naval research organization where my mother happened to also work there and she was in HR. And uh, she heard through the grapevine uh, within her office that NSA was hiring, so she encouraged me to apply. So I filled out the the standard government application. I want to say it's called an SF-171 or something like that. And uh, sent it in, and, after, and back in these days it was actual letter uh, written on paper. And uh, I sent it in, and I, got, I heard back from them, and they invited me up to to Fort Meade for a couple days of uh, testing and uh, the rest is history. It's, it's funny how parents can end up giving that uh, <laughs> pride in, in, in those particular directions. Um, mm -hmm. see, did, did you get any of that, uh, any, any of that love of uh, puzzle solving and whatnot from your parents? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we were definitely a, uh, uh, a puzzle doing family you know when i was a kid uh we got newspapers uh there was a morning paper and an afternoon paper i grew up outside of dc and uh you know sitting around the dinner table at night we very often would uh, go to the funny pages the comics and there were puzzles in it um 
There was a thing called trivia quiz where it would ask mon- mundane, silly questions. There was also a check your knowledge quiz, and then there was puzzles. So, uh, yeah, I was I was surrounded by people that liked doing puzzles, uh, going to the beach in the summer, sitting on the sitting on the beach. My dad had a crossword puzzle book. One, at least one of my older brothers had a crossword puzzle book. So I wanted to do the crossword puzzle book too. And the crossword puzzle books in those days they had all sorts of different types of puzzles. Uh, ironically, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like a Dell crossword puzzle book, but they have uh, things called crypto quizzes, which are really just, you know, various versions of Caesar ciphers. Usually they're famous quotes or things like that. Um, There's uh, one of the more fun things that I like to do is crossword puzzles that start with just a blank grid. And not only do you have to figure out the answers to all the clues, you also have to figure out the grid pattern. So you have to figure out where to put the, the answer and uh, where to where to fill in the squares so that you create the grid. Um, those are uh, some of the more fun things. I mean, more more modern. It wasn't as common back then, but like a sudo, sudo, Sudoku puzzle, mm-hmm. things like that. And they also had logic problems. And and usually the logic problems in these crossword puzzle books. Uh, you can sort of, in fact, they often would give you sort of a grid, you know, you've got four or five different categories of things that have to line up and, and there's only one logical way for the four or five different things to align with the four or five different other things, you know, like, you know, some family has five brothers, one, one like baseball, one likes football, but you know, it'll be clues like, you know, Billy and Johnny uh, you know, are the ones with the baseball and and the football skills type of thing. And so you have to figure out through the puzzle, you know, what are the names of all the five children? What are the different sports? And then, you know, what color are their jerseys and things like that? Um, ironically, uh, the person that became my mentor when I was, when I started out at NSA, uh, who was uh, a cryptologist that had been working there for 15 or 20 years prior to my starting there he actually as a side job as a hobby would write uh logic problems that were published in dell crossword puzzles books so it was for me it was sort of a full circle type of thing that you know that was like wow i grew up on these things and now i'm meeting a guy that actually writes them and uh you know he he sort of helped me down the, the the path as well at least on the cryptology side yeah that a lot of that sounds like uh I I don't ever recall necessarily seeing any uh, any uh, books or I I I remember whenever you know still seeing crossword puzzles in the newspaper but uh, a, a lot of what you were explaining that sounds like a lot of what I remember from standardized testing whenever I was in school uh, you know especially uh, you know there was a uh, reading comprehension uh, sections right. as yep. well as uh, yep. some of that same logic progression you'd find in um, in uh, word problems in math sections. So right, right, yeah. I used to love to do the word problems on tests. I hated multiple. Cho- I still hate multiple choice to this day because I can I can usually argue at least two or three of the answers, and uh, and very often I think the right answer that they've picked is not the best answer because they always say choose the best answer. I'm like, well, that's not the best one. Um, but you know, I, such, I got low grades, and yeah, I got low <laughs> grades in school, but for that exact same reason, for that exact right. same reason, and, and, and every time I would try to argue, but that no, here's why this answer was the right answer. <laughs> they look, they would look at me and say, 
the right answer was still that one. And they, they, didn't, they, <laughs> w- they wouldn't have a retort. They wouldn't have an explanation. So I, I knew right. I was on to something. Right. Yeah. Well, um, and the, the worst ones were in college where it would be like, you know, what did Professor Smith say in his lecture on, you know, October 3rd about this topic? So it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with right answer. It was, did you go to class? I'm like, well, no, I read the material and I went to nine out of 10 classes. And the one class I didn't go to invariably, that was the one where they asked the question that you had to be there to know the answer. So I didn't, I didn't get good grades in college. It was, it was fortunate that I scored well on these aptitude tests. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have gotten hired by NSA there you go there you go um, okay so let's move on to question number two here um, mm-hmm. so, so how, how, how long how were you actually, actually at the at NSA um, and what, what, what were, and were you spending that all doing cryptology the entire time I was uh, at NSA for about 10 years. I worked for the Navy a couple years before that, but my NSA time was just about 10 years. Uh, and I spent uh, uh, roughly the first three years, well, my my career at, at NSA fell into three three buckets. The, f- the first tour of duty, as it were, was as a cryptologist in what was called the manual crypto system shop. So I was on the defensive side. I was trying to create secret codes and secret um, encryption systems for communications. The, the middle third uh, of my time there, I was uh, uh, an actually a cryptanalytic intern, but I spent most of my time on the the uh, offensive side, the operations side of the house, which is what most people know NSA for. So I was trying to break codes and messages and things like that. And then my final tour uh, was back on the InfoSec side, and that's when I kind of got into uh, uh, computer, network, internet security, and and, uh, became the hacker that people know know me for today. Okay. Um, So then uh, you you said it earlier that uh, that uh, you're really not necessarily fond of technology. Why, mm. why, why, why are you not fond of technology? What, what's 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 the disturbance in the force there? Well, I've gotten into a lot of trouble uh, giving this answer uh, uh, throughout the years. Um, so I will try to temper my response. I think that uh, the. Uh, the advancement of technology especially and it's happened so quickly in the last 20 years let's say um has has very significantly impacted humanity's ability to interact with it, with itself and one another um uh i did a uh uh a dinner a couple years ago, you know, when I was working for a vendor, you know, they had like a customer dinner. We had a small gathering at a restaurant and we were in the Q and a session and uh, somebody asked me, or I think I just made the offhanded statement This is where I've gotten in trouble that uh, I think technology is killing the culture. And there was a young guy at the, at the kid table. There were two tables in the room. One was more the older management types, the suits and the, and the, and then there was what I called the kid table, the, the practitioners as it were. And I saw this one guy just sort of visibly starting to shake and getting agitated. And he finally raised his hand and said, I just have to stop you right now. I think that answer you just gave is totally ignorant. And, you know, so I 
talked him down and and you know he 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 said something like i've got a i've got a six-year-old son and he's reading on like a fifth grade level uh and and you know technology is amazing because there's so many games and tools and learning things and and you know there's so much information and the you know basically the world is at our fingertips there's there's so much possibility with technology and you know so i kind of talked him through it and i i tempered my response to say let's say culture the technology is significantly changing culture after the after the thing was over i went up to the guy because I, I i wanted to make sure he was okay first of all and it, that we were good but i also at the time my oldest uh, grandchild was about six years old and i was curious as to what he was using in terms of you know the the, the different educational games and tools and things that you can get for kids um you know what you know what was he using uh that was helping his child to excel so so much so i asked him i said you know you know what do you recommend he said oh well we don't really rely on that we just make sure we you know sit and read with our son every day for at least 30 minutes and in my mind i'm like and you've just proved my point I don't know where the guy is. I don't know who the guy is, if he'll ever hear this or not or remember that. But uh, I just uh, – why, li- why I don't like technology is I think because it's significantly changed the way people interact with one another, not that we do a good job of it in the first place. Um, but uh, skills that we used to learn as, as, as children and young adults in terms of how to interact with one another uh, in social situations um, – people aren't learning that today. Uh, I, I watched my children as they grew up and were teenagers and they would have friends over and they would hang out in the basement for a movie night or whatever. I watched people, and this was back sort of in the day of flip phones, but I would watch people in the same room having a conversation by texting one another, even though they were six feet apart. And I'm like, for the love of God, why don't you just look up and talk? <laughs> you have a mouth, you have a voice. Um, I've I've noticed that people don't you know it's it's very difficult as as amazing as technology is and I, and, and don't get me wrong there's some amazing things about technology but uh, one of the things that it's very difficult to do is to pick up on nonverbal cues you know so we invented the emoji uh, and we think that well if I show people what my mood is that that will con- you know, effectively convey my mood. Or if, you know, if I hit the all caps, you know, I'm yelling and I'm mad and angry. Uh, and we've all experienced that. It's, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not clean. And, and it's, it's just, I would much rather have a conversation face to face with people and, and be able to see all the nonverbal cues, the things that I learned in, in, you know, high school and college, business class, speech classes and things like that. I mean, there, there, there's so much that goes into effective communication and so much of it is um, handicapped, if you will, when you're only using the technology for communication. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, the information that's available, I don't have to think anymore. I don't have to remember anymore. Hey, what was that movie? Hey, that person looks familiar. Off to Google, IMDb. You know, I can get all the answers to all the trivia questions so much easier now as long as I know how to Google it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm an yeah, old timer. Yeah. You can say okay, boomer, and and we'll move on. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I, I'm 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 right there with you. I, uh, I there's been so many times, uh, especially 
at a job that, uh, you know, I'll intentionally go and uh, talk to somebody face-to-face and they look at me like, well, there's a telephone right here or there was this chat over here. You, you could have sent an email. It's like, I would have just, I just would have rather come and had this conversation with you. You know, it's just, it's different. But uh, no, it, it also makes me think of the, uh, the uh, Will Smith movie Hitch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it is in, in the early part of the movie, he's explaining that, uh, you know, that, uh, communication is, uh, you know, not nonverbal, um, or tone of voice. And he, I think he says like, it's only five, five percent maybe that is actually the words that you say. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I, um, d- depending on whose definition you use, um, would depend on whether I identified as Gen X or as a millennial. But frankly, the, even though I grew up at the start of, um, at, at the start of a uh, ubiquitous consumer technology, um, mm. I, my, my brain still totally works like, uh, like, uh, somebody from Gen X. Um, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> right there with you. I mean, I'm not out to change anybody's mind, but uh, if you want to talk to me, I would love to talk to you. Let's do it face to face, preferably over a drink. Um, and and you know the whole oh, I got to throw my my heart and soul out on Twitter and 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 get all the the warm fuzzies and memes because I've had a hard day, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But uh, I, I just don't get it. But, you know, it, to me, it's a cheap imitation. It's a substitution for something that, you know, I'm not saying we used to do it well in the old days. But, you know, there there was uh, uh, more of an opportunity to have more uh, meaningful, deeper relationships uh, when people knew kind of how to do it. Well, and, and it's one of those things that if if people really took an opportunity to take human interaction and combine it in a decent way with the technology it would be amazing how you know we could actually enhance it um you know because there are you know so many people i'm aware of that the technology is good for them for communicating because some because for whatever reason sometimes communication just does not happen for them mm-hmm. you know by speaking to somebody um but you know whether you're talking about wide-reaching comparisons or even narrow comparisons, the combination of the two could enhance it so much. Right. But unfortunately, we live in a society that likes to that likes to be polarized about things. Unfortunately. <laughs> Well, uh, well, uh, I don't know how much you want to dwell on this one question, but I, I think technology is uh, not the cause, but certainly helps to contribute to the uh, uh, tendency for us to become polarized. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's also uh, you know, it's a lot easier to flame somebody sort of semi-anonymously or at least not face-to-face by, you know, in the earlier days it would be a Facebook comment or, you know, even going way back to MySpace or, you know, earlier than that for us cooler kids, you know, IRC channels and things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the the stuff that goes on on some of the social media platforms today, I, I, I try to 
ignore it. And it's not that I, I'm not interested in people. I just, I don't engage as much as possible in a lot of those, um, flame wars and drama things that get played out. Uh, I would much rather just, uh, Hey, when I see you the next time at the next conference or the next meetup or wherever, you know, let, you know, I might have heard something about it, but I would much rather ask people face to face, Hey, what's going on? Uh, especially because, uh, what we convey to people, whether it's verbally or, or over social media, is is rarely what is really going on. Uh, there's much more to it. Uh, an analogy that was taught to me many years ago in terms of the complexity of the human life is think of it like an iceberg. You know, the things that you see that are visible above the surface, it's only, you know, 10% of what's really going on. Most of what's going on is below the waterline. You can't see it. And how do you get to that? And how do you find out what's really going on? You got to dig in with, uh, you know, to me, you know, human interaction communication absolutely so. absolutely um okay let's uh let, let's jump to a question that's uh, a little more shallow um, <laughs> good luck i go deep on most things okay well, I, well, I challenge you to make it a shallow question <laughs> okay what's your favorite cook on a steak medium rare bam shallow bam <laughs> Um, um, I could have said temperature. What of steak? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite cut? I tend towards, well, in my younger days, I would just go for the whole porterhouse. Uh, I tend now more towards the uh, New York strip. Uh, I do like the occasional ribeye. Uh, I was at a, a steak place a couple nights ago, and uh, they were offering. You know, usually when you cut up a porterhouse, the bone is on the on. If you ha get the bone, it's on the New York Strip. They were they were offering a bone-in fillet, which I thought was intriguing, but I ended up getting the ribeye. But uh, the de facto is New York Strip, the occasional ribeye. Okay. Okay. Um well, dive in even further. You enjoy barbecue? <laughs> well, see, that's tricky. I'm not from Texas. Uh, so but there's oh so many kinds of barbecue. Exactly. Are you talking Texas barbecue, Kansas City barbecue, North Carolina barbecue, East or West, uh, Georgia barbecue, and, and, let's, and then let's talk sauces. East or West in, in North Carolina? Interesting. Yep, there's two different okay. sauces in Carolina. Uh, so, so Memphis barbecue. Me I don't know. <laughs> well, I've done a lot of road traveling over the years. I've been a consultant for many years. Um, I used to go down to a um, place in Georgia. I was in a, gosh, where was it? Small town, Augusta, I think it was. And uh, there was a a barbecue place that was built into the old uh, Greyhound bus station, the old downtown Greyhound bus station. So they had like an old bus with, uh, you know, tables in it that was part of the restaurant. And uh, so I always, I was going there for every week for a couple months and uh, always looked forward to Thursday because Thursday, the vegetable of the day was mac and cheese. And that's when, that's when I learned mac and cheese was a vegetable. 
But I digress. Back to your question. Yes, I like barbecue. I prefer the pork kind of barbecue, uh, although Texas brisket is very good. But uh, if you just say barbecue outside of Texas, you're generally talking pork. If you're in Texas, you're generally talking beef. And that's something that not everybody knows outside of Texas. Um the uh, the sauces that I enjoy, probably the, the one that I enjoy the most over the years is the one that I found in Georgia, which is more of a mustard-based. Uh, although uh, I like Memphis barbecue. It's a little bit on the sweeter side. Uh, I forget which is which. Don't yell at me, people from the Carolinas. But, you know, one of the Carolina barbecue sauces is more sort of vinegar-based, and the other one's sweeter, you know, more of a sauce. Um I like all of them. I like the variety. Um, I I do a little bit of smoking when I can. I have yet I have yet to 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 do barbecue where I was satisfied. Like okay, this is really good. Like you know, like at some place where I bought it. So I'm 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 still a novice and I keep trying and uh, I've learned a lot, but I have a lot more to learn about many things. Apparently, barbecue being one of them. Now, it's a story that I normally share if I'm talking with somebody about sushi, but uh, there was this uh, there was this uh, place in the middle of Kansas, which mm-hmm. I, I'm not a su- I'm not a big sushi person because I'm not a big fish person, but I understand it's not always about fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently the uh, apparently the fish sushi was good at this place um, and fairly fresh, but they sold uh, they sold a roll that they called the jackass roll. Hmm. And it had, uh, it had barbecue uh, pulled pork and French fries and basically it was it was an entire barbecue plate in a sushi roll. Nice. It was an interesting take on it. I I, I liked it. I if I had been in Kansas longer, it definitely a place I would have gone back to and got it again. Um, and definitely one of those things that can win people over that think so not highly of sushi. Sushi is just something <laughs> wrapped in rice. <laughs> No, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, there, there's different variations on that, but yep. um, um, yeah, I've I've been to some very good sushi places. Probably the coolest one I've ever been to was in New York City, somewhere in Manhattan, where they brought the fish out, and it was like still the fish and it was kind of propped up with toothpicks so it looked like it was kind of splashing on the plate only the you know the entire side of it had been filleted so you just kind of picked the pieces out of the body of the fish and once you once you had finished it they took the head and tail away deep fat fried it and brought it back and you could eat that as well as well as the as well as the shrimp heads everything threw in the fryer you ate everything so that was kind of a cool experience wow interesting okay I don't know how we got to sushi from barbecue, but it's your it's your show. <laughs> it, 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 it was thanks to a place in Kansas. Can, Kansas, right. there you go. That says it all. All I know about Kansas is there's only two things that come out of Kansas. What's that? Steers and queers. <laughs> Which one are you, boy? It's a movie quote uh, before anybody gets offended. And I believe the movie is... Officer and a gentleman, if I recall correctly. Okay, oh, it's either so, that, either that, or stripes. One of the two. Uh, a, a little, uh, a, a little trivia for you. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, highest place in Kansas, like uh, uh, elevation, mm-hmm. um, happens to be right 
on the Kansas-Colorado border. And immediately on the other side of the, of the Kansas-Colorado border is the lowest elevation in the state of Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> mm -hmm. I believe it. Yep. I drove through Kansas one time. Uh, it was very boring. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I've I've always held the. Uh, I should say I was on a bus trip, and we were like already eighteen hours into the bus trip, and and Kansas was very long. We were on our way to Colorado, so we were looking just looking forward to seeing mountains soon, and uh, it didn't happen even at the Colorado border. We were, we were, yeah, you, it we still takes you another two or three hours. Two or three hours past. Yeah. No. Um, no, it, it, and you know. It, I've I've always held the held the opinion of there wasn't a lot interesting in Kansas just for, by the sheer fact of you don't really find any historical markers really around the state much, mm -hmm. um, and uh, Kansas ha seems to be one of those places where you can find the world's largest ball of yarn and stuff like that on the side of the road. Well, I'll I'll raise my glass to Kansas since the, you know they have the Super Bowl champions now. Um, 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 you just made a Donald Trump error. I certainly did. No, I just made it <laughs> a dig at Donald Trump. But okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> just, 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 just double checking, making sure. What? Not, not that I wasn't giving you credit. <laughs> um. On that note, let's move on to another question. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Uh, all right. Here we go. Um, mm -hmm. Say you were say you were throwing a dinner party, mm -hmm. and uh, four uh, four people. One of those people being you. So the other three people, one is somebody that you currently know from Twitter. The okay. second one is um, some kind of well-known historical figure, and the third is a current celebrity. Who are the people you are inviting, and for what reason? Oh gosh, interesting. Because uh, I would talk to anybody, but who would I invite? Let me let me cheat and look at Twitter real quick. Uh, okay, I know who I would invite from Twitter, just because I'm curious, and I don't really know who they are. But that would be uh, uh, shoot, what's their handle? Uh, Swift on security. Okay. Although I've been told that the, I, I really don't know who they are, uh, but I would invite them just so I could get the big reveal. Uh, current celebrity. Interesting question. Let me come back to that one. The person I would like to invite, and this is an historical figure that you will have not heard of because I only knew about, I only learned about him a couple days ago. I spent the, the weekend, uh, the holiday weekend in Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia, and I learned about an historical figure there, a woman named uh, Ann Wager, and she was the... Uh, superintendent of a school that was opened back in colonial times before the revolution that was uh, chartered to teach uh, African-American, what they called at the time, Negro students. So it was a school for black children. Uh, and it was set up essentially to teach them 
uh, reading and writing. It was sponsored by the church because the church, the Anglican church, the church of England was sort of the seat of power in colonial times before the revolution. And, uh, and it, and the church is what paid for this uh, school and paid this woman's salary, and so she taught uh, all these children uh, basically uh, the skills they needed to be good at their jobs, whatever their jobs were, as, as well as reading and writing. But she, but she also taught the Bible, and uh, the person that was uh, interpreting this character was um, broke character at some point and was talking about this person was just such a. Uh, the word I used was an enigma because uh, sh nobody knows from history uh, whether this person was like really trying to teach slave children, um, you know, reading and writing so that they could, you know, somehow rise above their status or whether she was trying to teach them to stay within their status. So it was very, I, I'm just curious just because it's a, a very recent person that, uh, I've come to learn about, and I, and my impression was even more than, you know, we we know all the all the nation's founders, all the founding fathers, and who were slave owners and not, and you know, the whole thing with Thomas Jefferson, and he's got lots of descendants that are, uh, you know, white like us, and uh, and so on and so forth. But this person who's like almost lost to history was in a very interesting position, and we don't know that much about her. Which leads me finally to the uh, current celebrity, I guess, in the context of that person in history, I would love to meet uh, Barack Obama and bring him to the table to have a conversation with this other person. And I'd sit back and watch. Okay. Okay. That sounds like an interesting dinner party. I, 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 I would love to be a fly on the wall for that dinner party. Ask me the question 10 minutes from now, I'll give you a completely different answer, but that's what I, popped into my head. <laughs> I, I, I believe it, but that's fine. Okay. Um, okay. Jumping on to, uh, jumping on to question six. Mm -hmm. Um, are you more of a, uh, book person or a TV movie person? Uh, I would have to go more TV movie person having grown up in the TV generation. Okay. And um, what was it, is there uh, any uh, TV show in particular that catches your attention more than any other right now? Current shows, um, it's really interesting because I watched whatever the awards show was uh, a couple weeks ago before the Oscars. That uh, was like the the media awards. And they were talking about all these different shows on Netflix and Amazon and HBO and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I don't know what any of these shows are. I, I, I still watch network television primarily, uh, whatever that is. Um, the the show that I, I watch consistently uh, over the last uh, few years is NCIS. Um, for some reason, I like that style of sort of drama mystery uh, with a backstory, um, the the guy that produced that show, which was a spinoff of a, another show called Jag, mm -hmm. uh, Judge Ag Advocate General, which you know these are all Navy based shows, which was sort of a loose spinoff of an earlier show called Magnum PI, uh, and back in really? you know that, that spun off of Magnum PI. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, they're all they're all connected and they're all produced by the same guy. 
And, you know, back when I was in college, I used to watch Magnum PI religiously. And it was such a great show because not just the, you know, quirky adventure and characters, but because there was this always this backstory kind of mystery, you know, um, Magnum had a wife and a child, but he couldn't be with them because of international politics and intrigue and espionage and things like that. And then, you know, fast forward to NCIS, uh, the contemporary show, uh, there's similar characters with very similar situations where, you know, they're true loves, but they can't be together because of intrigue and drama and espionage and, and so on and so forth. So I think it, you know, I, I started watching this genre of show that was produced by the same person way back in the eighties and have just carried it forward. Uh, it's not a particularly, uh, uh, it's just a fun show to watch. My my wife always tries to figure out the mystery, and she's like, "Do you think it's this person? Do you think it's that person?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm just watching it. I just turn <laughs> my I turn my mind off and just watch and let the story unfold. And usually, I'm entertained." Yeah, I I've told people that um, I'll I'm always oh lovely Mm-mm. smoke alarm. I'm gonna wait a second, and I'm gonna edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to give it about 10 more seconds before, yeah, there we go. I didn't know if I needed to go take care of it or not. All right. Um, no, I, I've, I've always told people that, uh, that, uh, I, my, my attachment to a TV show is how the storytelling is. You know, I, I've, mm-hmm. you, know, I, you know, the, the NCIS shows by far some of my favorite, but the, the NCIS shows, I mean, they've, they, they've got really good storytelling methods going on there. They, they, build their characters really well. I've, I find myself invested in who I see on my screen every time I watch a show. Um, right. it, it's hard not to be. Um, but as an aside from all of that, you mentioned Magnum PI, and so I've got mm-hmm. to ask, have you watched the have you watched the reboot? No, I refuse to watch reboots. <laughs> no, you refuse to watch a reboot. Uh, yep. oh, oh, okay, Th- then then uh, you might end up following my train of thought here. Um, okay, did you end up watching uh, the live action Aladdin? Uh, only because I have grandkids. But yes, I have seen that. Okay, and were you disappointed or? at least partially pleasantly surprised by what they did with it. Uh, let's see. First, I have to remember if I stayed awake for it, cause I have a tendency to sleep through that kind of stuff these days. Uh, I, I think I was, I was pleasantly not, uh, overly offended by the fact that they re- remade a classic. How's that? Uh, you know, I think, I think Will Smith did an admirable job. They had some interesting twists of the storyline i guess you know they you know it had to play out a little bit differently i guess um i do recall now that you mention it you know there was i don't i don't remember the specifics but i remember some of the things happening in the live movie version that i was like i don't remember that from the the original i don't know if that's different or i just have a bad memory and and more and more these days i lean you know I, I assume it's the bad memory, but uh, so yeah. If if they had some twists in it uh, to, to make a little bit of changes, if I recall, think as I think about it, back when the uh, animated version came out, and uh, um, I think that was one of the 
if I recall, I think this is the, this movie. Uh, you know, usually when it's an animated film, they they draw it and then they have the characters come in and and do the the script. But in that particular movie, because Robin Williams does so much. Um, impromptu stuff. <laughs> they had him do his lines, and then they went and drew the cartoon to match what he, all the all the stuff that he was saying, all the improv. Yeah, yeah. I, and the only reason I ask about Aladdin because I actually I actually boycotted the live action Aladdin whenever mm. it came out because I was like, okay, if you can't do it with it with Robin Williams, then you shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing it. Um. And eventually, and once again, you know, the connection, the young ones, my, you know, after having, getting Disney Plus and home one weekend with my kid, just he and I, and I was like, okay, let's see, let's see what this is. And I, you know, Will Smith made it his own while still paying homage to, uh, to what Robin Williams did. Um, Right. So I I wasn't I, I I wasn't offended by it like I thought I would be, um, but, it, but but in that same vein, have I watched the original Magnum PI? No. So <laughs> so, so so I couldn't I couldn't speak to original Magnum PI versus reboot Magnum PI. Well, and it's hard, um, you know. I don't. I don't often go to remakes of movies. I, I try not to do that. Reboots of TV shows. Um, you know, which Star Trek was it where they like killed off the entire entire universe and then you know started forward with? Okay, we have this alternate reality. I'm like, wow, what did you do? Uh, don't, I'm not into all those twists, but it's really hard for this generation. Uh, and this is not a value judgment. I'm just saying it's really hard to, to have people that are accustomed to the pace of storytelling in movies these days and all the animation and, and action and, you know, the CGI, which in my book is still animation. Um, to take all that away and go back to the old way that movies are made, which were much slower paced in general, it, it's hard to get people to even just sit through them yet alone, you know, watch them and appreciate it. And, you know, and for me, uh, you know, when I was younger and people were telling me about classic movies from, you know, even further back, um, in classic cinematography, uh, you know, you, you, you really have to watch things in terms of, keep in mind that the period in which they were created, you know, uh, I grew up, on a black and white TV, uh, and uh, they they used to make them. That's used to be all you got, and we used to watch The Wizard of Oz every year. It came on whenever it came on Easter or whatever. And uh, the very first time that I saw it on a color TV and saw the switch in the movie from black and white to color, I was amazed. I watched the original Star Trek series when it aired in the 60s on Friday nights uh, on a black and white set. I didn't know they had, they, they wore different shirts. And, you know, there was such a thing as a red shirt and a blue shirt until years later in syndication when, you know, my family finally got a color TV. And, and all the special effects with the planets and all the, the creatures and everything. I was like, well, I mean, they did a lot with color on that show that I was totally lost to me. 
because uh, I grew up on a black and white set. But you know, when I was in my twenties and and uh, um, you know, renting movies was becoming a thing with VHS and later DVDs. There was a you know a phase where everybody was colorizing the old movies, and uh, while part of me was curious to see what it looked like in color, because I always felt like, well, if they'd have had it available, they would have done it in color, but not all the time. Um, I was a photographer. I, I enjoyed photography. I used to develop my own film in high school. It was 35 millimeter and I had my own dark room and it was all black and white. And so there's, there's classic, uh, famous photographers. Ansel Adams jumps out, uh, as, as a, probably a primary example. There was just a, a magician in terms of what he could do with black and white, uh, and, and the things that he could create that were most often done with the camera, not so much tricks and things that were done in the, in the dark room where you, you, you know, you, you have to bow to them as a master and just imagine what he could have done today in, in, in our world of digital photography. And there's great things being done with digital photography these days. So everything has its place. Everything has its time. I think it's, uh, while it's easy to dismiss if you're the old person dismiss the young people and and vice versa i think if there's a, a way to just sort of you know enter into whatever the period is and appreciate the art for what it was at the time you know the original star wars episode 4 before they cgi enhanced it and just marveling at the special effects where you know, try to put yourself in the shoes of you're in a movie theater and you're seeing all this stuff and it's never been done before. It's, you know, it was amazing. I remember seeing it in junior high school, middle school to you younger people. And it was amazing. The special effects that were in that movie were just amazing. Um, and, and then they had to go muck with it and add CGI to it, but whatever, you know, grumble, grumble. I am a curmudgeon. Well, no, you, you you talk about uh you, you talk about some of the uh, older movies and the slower storytelling and the, the 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 cinematography and everything else. One of the, one of those uh, that's on my list of favorites that actually mm -hmm. is an older movie. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. The original. Yes. Okay. Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Yep. Jimmy Stewart. Okay. That, that that is definitely on my favorite list, and. Cool. It, it, is, it tells a good, solid story. It, it builds. It, it builds the drama. It, it's just. It, it's. It's just a good pace. It. It does the proper job. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, that, that, so we're, we're we're kindred in the sense that we enjoy storytelling. We don't let the. We don't rely on the special effects and the action tell the story for us. And the 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 entertainment value is in the the crafting of the tale, not in the the visual. Um, and well, I, it, I, it's, I, it's like I, I see a theme emerging. <laughs> there, there, well, it's it's like even with the Fast and the Furious movies. I I, I do like those, mm -hmm. but. It, it, and and I th I think that they tell a good under uh, underpined story, but I could probably take if we were just telling the story without all the car races and everything else, mm -hmm. I could tell that I could tell those stories in you know twenty thirty minutes. I I, I could turn right. it into a, a short TV episode. Right. Um, so so yeah, it's just it, there's there's it's it's kind of like with the technology once again you find ways to mix the old and the new and you can enhance it to be something even better. So that's a hope anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Well, I heard you talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, and it sounds like it sounds like you've enjoyed both of those mm-hmm. over your lifetime. If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Star Trek. Why is that? Um, I, and it's Star Trek original series because it was again for the period it was so groundbreaking, it was so revolutionary. Uh, uh, they they invented the smartphone. I mean, come on now. Uh, so much of the technology that they envisioned as futuristic, uh, they sort of skipped the mouse, but they did that in, what is it, uh, Star Trek IV. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> the, um, the, but, it, but again, it goes back to the storytelling. I mean, they were tackling such huge political social issues in the context of a science fiction uh you know uh motif um i i i recorded a podcast earlier today and i had to have a geek out star trek moment because what we were talking about reminded me of an episode uh of the original show uh many many times in my travels in my dealings uh, interactions with people the workforce and whatnot uh it reminds me of of things that were covered by star trek uh in, in the original series so i it, it just in terms of the um the sociology uh the 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 groundbreaking work that it did again f- never had happened before it was mm-hmm. the first I- in its genre in on so many fronts um star wars uh i was probably more impressed with the the special effects the the at least you know thinking back to the original one which is really four um this the story is just kind of eh. i mean you know over the years they've added to the story with all the other movies and tied it all together but uh i mean in the genre of star wars the best movie is empire strikes back because that was the good old-fashioned big reveal cliffhanger i hope there's no spoilers because people haven't seen it at this point but i remember standing in line uh, for two hours waiting to get into the theater to see Empire Strikes Back because in those days the theaters only had one screen and you know they would fill it you'd watch the movie that they'd clear it and then they'd bring in the next group of people and fill it and show it again and uh, as I'm standing in line and the previous showing is coming out and we're, we're all you know I was with a bunch of friends we're all getting ready excited we're finally going to go in to see it as as we started moving somebody walked by and said I can't believe he's his father and we were like oh my god so we got this huge spoiler before we ever went in to see it but we didn't at least get the whole cliffhanger with han solo and back in those days you had to wait three years four years whatever it was to find out what was going to happen to han solo it wasn't oh let's just pop a new dvd in or let's just uh you know fast forward download the next uh, on-demand video and just get right to it no you had to live four years of your life before you knew what happened to han solo um you know you don't have that experience these days uh so star wars has its merits uh, i think the story is a little bit more romanticized and simplistic whereas uh star trek was just covering so many political soci- sociological issues i'm a child of the 60s it was the height of civil rights movement it was height of the civil, uh vietnam war uh you know so many things were beginning in the
devolving depending on your perspective and star trek covered covered some of it. the first interracial kiss their classic episode on racism where they had two characters from uh two different planets one that had a black face on one side and a white face on the other side and the other character was white faced on one side and black faced on the other and they hated each other because they were different it's, it's just classic there's 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 no other comparison to how they address so many pivotal issues we should all go watch star trek again if you haven't seen it you should all watch the original series i believe it's on netflix or cbs on demand or you can i'm sure it's there a thousand different places and watch it in color because that's all you have these days yeah, it's it's definitely on CBS. My uh, my kids been wanting to watch Star Trek of all types for a few years now. So well, start them with the original series. That's uh, all I can say. All right, so uh, jumping into something a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your favorite band in high school? Um, my favorite band in high school. I leaned my, the high school I went to. We were in, it was late 70s. We were into Southern Rock. Uh, for some reason, the favorite band of the school was the Charlie Daniels Band. Uh, but I would have to give a nod probably to Leonard Skinner. Okay. Somewhere, so. yeah, nobody's ever heard of, well, people, Charlie Daniels Band was good, but I, I didn't like them. I, I liked them because everybody else everybody did, did. But yeah. then I learned to like them. You know, Charlie Daniels is a great musician, and, and uh, his music covered a lot of different genres. He, he's, he's very uh, uh, versatile in terms of the type of music he produced. But I lean towards Southern Rock, so Molly Hatchet, Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker Band. Uh, anything in that genre is uh, to this day is uh, probably my favorite kind of music after it's the blues classics yep. oh the blues the blues that's that's some good stuff right there yep yeah okay um question number nine mm-hmm. number nine number number nine number nine number nine, <laughs> number Bueller? nine. Bueller. Number nine. You don't know what I'm quoting, do you? No, no. I do not. Beatles White Album. They uh, have a song called Revolution Number no. 9. And, aha. And uh, part of it, the I think it's John, is just saying number 9, number 9, number 9. Pretty sure they were on something that when they recorded it. Go to YouTube, find it, Spotify, wherever you find your Beatles, and look for Revolution Number no. 9. Now, if I, if I was starting to do... do uh infamous nine quotes i'd probably start going nine 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 mm-hmm. and is and that, that that's but my where i'd be getting that from is uh is from uh howard stern yep because uh he his executive producer gary delabody um he uh he has said that one too many times and so uh and so now that's one of the audio drops that gets thrown in there all the time <laughs> in the show on with the question. We digress. Yes. Um, okay. Okay. S- sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume based off uh, some other uh, answers that I could probably deduce that you are a uh, football fan. Yes. Okay. 
Um, any other sports besides football? Um, as a as a participant, uh, mostly football, basketball, tennis. Uh, as a uh, spectator, you know, I'm 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 the year round love football and football season. I don't I don't watch any sports as much as I used to. I enjoy a good baseball game. I never really understood baseball until I worked uh in uh, college. I was a, an athletic trainer, student athletic trainer, and I was um um uh, assigned to work with our college baseball team and that's when I really learned the game cuz I when I was growing up I always well you just go up and swing away and wherever the ball goes you, it goes I I didn't realize how much strategy and and chessmanship there is in baseball um so I I I I I got an appreciation for baseball so I enjoy watching baseball um I enjoy basketball more College basketball, um, baseball, pro football. Um, you know, when the Olympics roll around, I enjoy watching the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Ever, ever take a flyer on any uh, any sports that would be considered more international flair? Not a big fan of uh, what the Europeans call football. I'll watch it. I appreciate it, but I'm an ugly American. I got to see points and scoring. What I don't about get, rugby? Um, I've never watched it. I don't think. Uh, what's the one where they Australian rules football or whatever it is? There, yeah, the, that, yeah. There's that Australian one's kind of cool. I, that that used to be on cable back when I was in college, and I didn't have a life and watched a lot of TV. And uh, a fun fact about Aussie rules football is that that was actually a sport that was developed for uh, cricketers in the off season. Hmm. To keep them in shape. Interesting. Um, enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I can't remember the last time I watched either of those sports on television. I guess I don't flip to the right channels. There's so many choices these days. Um, but yeah, I'm not opposed to it. Australian rules. F- I, I never understood the Australian rules football and why sometimes they did the one hand and sometimes they did the two hands, but it was still fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, and, and the only reason I ask is because I've I, I actually uh, over the years have started to gain an appreciation for the game of rugby, hmm. and every time I've ever had a had a conversation with somebody about it, um, you know, m- most people and it's standard thing, but most people have been a bit close-minded to the idea even, and and I'm just like, if you like football, you have no idea how quickly you probably pick up the game of rugby. <laughs> Right. Um, right. You know, because because especially, uh, you know, especially like uh, you know, there's there there's two different codes of the game, and if you were to look at the uh, at the way the field is done up for the rugby league code, um, you would look at it and be like, hey, that looks like a football field. Yep. Or yep. Um, or uh, okay, so 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 knowing knowing generally what your age is, do you remember the NFL whenever the goalposts were still at the front of the end zone? Yes, yes, I do. And that is that, that's another old vestige of rugby. Yep. yep. So yeah, it, it used to be rugby, and it just ended up veering off in its own direction. 
So, well, yeah, but, I mean, when when the NFL got started, they really had few, you know, just as few pads, if any pads, as the rugby players do. Well, I guess it, I've it, always valued my teeth, though, because I've I've met quite a few rugby players over the years of my travels, and they're all missing teeth. Well, it, it's it, it, here's the interesting thing, though, t- to me. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot of parents that are like, I will not let my child play football. There, it's it's too injury prone of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably have at least at least that strong of, if not a stronger reaction to rugby. But it, one thing I've learned about the game is that they are actually light years ahead uh, in um, uh, you know trying to do injury prevention. Hmm. in that game, even though they still wear minuscule amount of padding compared to the American game. You know, so well, it, it, uh, that makes sense. I mean, because they, they don't really have, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, the, the strategy of rugby, you know, beyond the scrum, uh, there isn't a lot of, you know, contact in terms of blocking. Uh, it's, it's more it's, tackling. It's, it's against the rules to block. Right. And, th- and that's where most of the injuries occur anyway in football is in, in terms of the blocking and what the lines do to each other. But, you know, once you clear the scrum and you're chasing down the guy, you're, you're tackling him, and that's just kind of a one-on-one thing. And, you know, there's safer ways to tackle a person. Uh, and, and you're not using body parts like your head as a weapon, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. That I've I've not uh I, I've not heard somebody draw out a little bit of explanation on that. And that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, but I'm just uh, I'm just winging it. I could be completely wrong, but that's just uh, my my observations. No, that that, that that makes sense. But uh, I'll uh, I'll, I'll jump on from uh, from rugby at this point because uh, well, there is I, I was talking to uh, Cybersex Stu. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other day, and with him being from the UK, rugby was a very natural conversation to have. But it, sure. it, it was it was definitely it was you know since he's since he's uh, used to the game, unlike unlike most of us in the states, you know it was a very different conversation to have with him. Sure, so, yeah, so, I. So, I haven't seen it in years, and I'm sure there's probably more strategy in rugby than there is in football. And it's a whole, it's a man's game. It's all, all different thing. And I guess the only other observation I think of that that I find impressive is when you hear rugby, you usually think of really huge, muscle bound guys, and you know they're the ones that generally have the no teeth. Um, but you know they also have lighter, swifter guys that are normal size guys, and and you know they're they're the ones that are outrunning every all the big guys. So, mm-hmm. you know it's it's a game for all people, for all sizes, for all body shapes and, and whatnot. So, well, so. It, and one one little observation along those lines before I do mm-hmm. move on from it. Um, mm-hmm. One, whenever I very first started watching the game, um, one of the one of the games I got to see was um, the U.S. national team playing in the 2003 Rugby World Cup. Mm-hmm. At the time, the U.S. national team they had basically drawn from people that were that were playing American football. Hmm. And so everybody that was everybody that was playing a forward position that would be in the scrum were like football linemen, right? And um, 
and uh, for as much as they get trained with how to block, how to push people around, and things like that, the whole the, the whole uh, idea behind how a scrum works, they got owned so bad. <laughs> and right. and by the time the next Rugby World Cup came around that they that they got to participate in, the U.S. national team had such a different look to them because yeah. they started to realize. Hey, wait a minute! There's football players and there's rugby players. We got to make a differentiation there. Right, so, I, I believe it. All right, all right. All right. Mo- mo- moving on, we're going, going officially to question number ten now. All right, um, and this has kind of been make it a good one. That's your oh, last question. Well, the, the, this has kind of been my standard question number ten for most everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what is both the best and the worst advice you've ever received? Mm. Probably the best advice I ever received. Uh, I would have to, uh, gosh, I don't even know who I can credit it to other than I think I grew up with it, is uh, question everything. Um, And probably the worst advice I've ever gotten is question everything. (laughs) Well, okay. So, what's what's been uh, one of the times that questioning everything was good? Um, well, uh, in my career as a, a consultant, a security professional, going into you know various companies and trying to you know help them improve their security posture, but having to learn what the business is, how it worked, the ins and outs, the the nonverbal. You know, leadership structure, what, you know, the power structure, uh, where are all the skeletons in the closets, uh, you know, having people say, well, we don't do that or we don't store that or we never collect that. And then like, okay, that's, a, I know you do. If you say you don't, it's there somewhere. Um, you know, the, 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 the questioning everything and, and doing it in a productive way, um, has benefited my career in terms of, you know, making me good at what I do, which is, you know, helping companies discover what all their problems are before the bad guy does. Um, you know, so your follow-up question is going to be, where has it worked to your disadvantage? Um, it, it, uh, because I, I, I don't know if it's a skill that I learned or if it's a, something I was born with, but I, I can find what's wrong with everything. I, it, you know, whether it's a logic flaw or it's usually a logic flaw, um, an error. I, I'm not always looking for it. I have no specific way of finding it. I just have a knack for finding what's wrong with things. Uh, and where that has become very beneficial in my day job, in my profession, uh, it sometimes uh, does not work to my advantage in interpersonal relationships, starting with my wife and on and on to my family and so forth. Um, you know, nobody wants to hear all the time what they're doing wrong. Uh, so, you know, the questioning everything where it works to my disadvantage is if I take it too far and if I don't pick my battles or, you know, uh, really do they need to know that they spelled a word wrong or they all, you know, they didn't catch the autofill or the font is off or, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I haven't always not spoken up. 
as it were. So that's just something I've learned over the years to sort of pick my battles. And even though I see things are wrong, breathing through it. And, and my problem is once I see what's wrong, that's all I see. I, I, I have a hard time moving on to other things like, but, 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 but you've got this thing here. Why can't you fix this? Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally get that. I, uh, I'm only just now getting to the point where uh, where uh, I can rein myself in right. at times, and even today I had a moment like that, and I successfully bit my tongue, but uh, but it was a conversation that led to having to talk to a vendor later in the day, and and I told the vendor I said okay. I, I know what you're going to tell me. I can I can see I, I can see exactly where this is going, and mm-hmm. whenever my boss said this, I could entirely see where he was going. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not on the same page as him. I'm really right. not. But I knew it was an argument I couldn't win, and so I'm presenting you what my boss is looking for, and not me. Mm. <laughs> so yep. yeah. Yeah, I was just there today. I get it. Wisdom. Yeah, that's all that is—is is wisdom. Yeah. And wisdom oh. just means you did it wrong enough times that you finally figured out. Okay, I know not to do that anymore. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, Jeff, by all means, uh, by all means, I look forward to doing this again. Hopefully in person. Uh, definitely over. Uh, Hey, next time I'm getting cognac instead of bourbon. I'll just leave, leave it at that. Um, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> but uh, but in the meantime, uh, in the meantime, I want to give you a chance to add anything you want to or plug anything you want to, including your uh, podcast. Well, sure. I, uh, you know, I'm a semi-regular. I'm irregular uh, on uh, as a co-host on Paul Security Weekly, but uh, still, still not sure whether Paul was remor- rewarding me or punishing me. But he he gave me my own show to do since I bring up PCI so much. First time I've mentioned it here. Uh, so I have a, my own show now called Security and Compliance Weekly. We record it weekly it's not just a clever name uh it usually we record on tuesdays so it usually drops by the end of day tuesday uh so look for that in your feeds uh we're trying to make it a, a you know a different show but you know it, it it's a spin-off of the the main show paul security weekly um so we're trying to have meaningful conversations trying to help people work through the struggles uh, of the uh, and the tension that exists between this thing we call security and this thing we call compliance and 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 all the ground in between or not in between as the case may be all right that's awesome all right well once again yeah i definitely enjoyed it um i i've i've I tell everybody I enjoy every conversation on a different level, but always immensely. So uh, thank you very much, sure. and uh, and I look forward to the next time we can do it. It was fun to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. Thank you.